And that was Waiting for Life to Begin from the 1991 Broadway cast of Once on this Island. Music by Stephen Flaherty, lyrics by Lynn Ahrens, and performed by LaShawns. Hi, my name is Corey Rose, and I'm a sophomore majoring in multimedia journalism and double minoring in theater and communication. And you're listening to Behind the Curtain with Corey Rose, a weekly look at theater professionals who have a unique view on the world around them. Y'all can't see, but I'm grinning so hard because I'm sitting with Miss Rachel Finley. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Um, so for those of you who might not know Miss Rachel in the way I do, she has an MFA in theater performance, a BFA in directing from Carnegie Mellon University. She's a multidisciplinary artist, actor, director, spoken word artist, playwright, author, designer, and educator. That's right. Along with being a wonderful person. Well, thank you. <laughs> so how are you? I'm great. Yeah. Good. Um, so I like to start every show off with something you did, something you ate, and something you saw this past week. Okay, something I did this week, I auditioned for the Scottish play, uh, known to most people as Macbeth. Um, I had a callback for Lady Macbeth, so I'm waiting to hear back on that. Um, something I... What was the next thing? Something I did, something I... Saw and something you ate. Something I saw. I Well, I saw um, my daughter and her friends at a bar mitzvah, and it was very interesting to see how 12-year-olds dress these days. I was really quite shocked and <laughs> unexpecting it. I thought that I had dressed her quite sassily, and I come to find out that she is like a nun compared to how some of these girls were dressed. <laughs> So that's something I saw and something I ate. Well, on the way in here, I just ate a um, vegetarian Jamaican patty. It was quite delicious, a little spicy. <laughs> um, so that would be something. All of my guests love to tell me what they ate like on the way to the studio. I love that. <laughs> so let's chat. Let's start with the very beginning. Um, where are you from? What was your first shows? How did you first get involved in theater? I am a Florida native. I was uh, born in Broward County, grew up in Coral Springs, Florida, uh, until I was 15. And then I, my father got transferred, and for high school, I moved to North Carolina. And my first year in North Carolina, I was at the International Baccalaureate School at North Mecklenburg High School. Um, and I had some issues with that school, with the, uh, both the racism and the drug problem at that school. Um, and I decided to go ahead and transfer schools because I got into the arts magnet school. And so I originally went there planning to be a creative writing major because in the arts magnet school, you had to have a major. Um, but I also auditioned for the drama program, expecting not to get into it. But I got into both programs, which was exciting because I had always been interested in theater, but never had the opportunity to do it. Um, so it, very quickly, my theater interest sort of became the main thing. And then my creative writing interest was kind of taking a back seat for a while. And I've, I've been working to balance the two throughout my life. Right. <laughs> You were doing your college search, and you say, "Woo, here's Carnegie Mellon. How was that process like? Um, well, I got to go and visit the campus and absolutely fell in love, not only with the campus, but also with the types of students that went there. Um, it was just a very unique group of people, both in the drama program, but also in the university overall. There was just so many people that... Uh, 
were very passionate, you know, about whatever it was, not even, you know, in some cases about what they were studying, but in other cases, just about things that you wouldn't even think of, you know, just odd things. Like there was a group of uh, students that uh, that evening that I went to visit took me on a tour and they called themselves the KGB, which stood for Keeping Geeks Busy. Okay. <laughs> I was like, is this? Yeah. So it stood for Keeping Geeks Busy and they knew all of the hidden tunnels and passageways that existed in the school that had been apparently built for back in the times when they were more worried about bombings and things like that. Right. And so they took me into all of these, you know, back ways of you know ducking in and out and hiding in between walls and and just kind of seeing that there was this group of people that that was their thing that's what they were into and it was a place where they could go ahead and explore that and you know there were other groups as well that I got to meet during that time but that just stands out to me as something that was unique and of course the amazing shows they put on there and, and the great faculty just really drew me to and the fact that they had an undergraduate directing program right um also was a big selling point for me so let's talk about that um you saw that they had a directing program and you applied was it like submit three screenshots of plays that you've done or how was the application process well you so you had an essay that you had to write there was an audition they actually did have you do an acting audition and there was an interview process uh they did not require the submission of photos um, because at, at that age most people haven't done a lot of directing I was fortunate that my high school did have directing classes so I had done some directing and when I met with them I did have photos that I could show them from my um, my previous productions but that was not a requirement what they did require was an interview process and an audition and an essay that kind of gave them an idea of your artistic approach right what made you want to pursue directing rather than acting in college so, or major in directing. Yeah. So uh, I love to learn about different things, and I love to um, sort of be a part of the whole world. And while I loved acting, for me it was a little bit limiting to focus exclusively on acting, at least at the time. I see acting much differently now than I did then. But at the time I saw acting as kind of you were very much just doing what you were told, almost like a chess piece, and I wanted to be the chess player. Right. You know, so uh, I, because when I read a play, I have this whole vision of the world of the play that I really want to bring to to fruition. And um, as an actor, you only can really focus on the one character, whereas as a director, you get to focus on the whole world and bringing that whole world to fruition um, and being a part of the entire process. And I also liked the idea of being involved with a show from the very beginning of the inception of how that show will be realized all the way through until it gets on its feet. So that's why I was drawn to directing. <laughs> and um, and the fact that they had that directing program at Carnegie Mellon just immediately drew me to that school. What kind of shows did you direct in college? So I have always been drawn to shows that kind of push the boundaries in some way. Uh, whether it be that because they're speaking about social issues that we don't often think about or speak about. Um, one of the first shows I directed, there was a short play called Mrs. Scheinbaum, and it was about a Holocaust survivor who wanted to have her tattoo removed from the Holocaust and was trying to get her you know, insurance company to pay for it. And so she's meeting with the uh, insurance adjuster to talk about how important it is for this tattoo to be removed for her. You know, I, I also directed a play that was called Letters to a Student Revolutionary. And that one was about the 
Tiananmen Square massacre in China, and it was about the students, and it took place where part of it takes place in America, part of it took place in China, and just the vastness of it, the the vastness of the number of places, the depth of the <clears throat> the themes that it it spoke about, and the demands that it put both on me as a director and on my actors and on my designers, because we had all of these different locations that we had to. Um, in some way communicate, as well as so many different types of characters that each actor had to play. There's one actor that had to play a cat. <laughs> and when I first read the script, I was like, I don't know about a cat, a human playing a cat. I might cut that character. But when I had the actor actually try it, his commitment to it and the way that he did it actually made it this incredibly beautiful and interesting thing to see. And the way that the, the designers really ran with the ideas that we discussed it just all came together so beautifully. Um, and I was really happy that I had done it. What inspired you creatively in college? And what continues to inspire you now? So I have always been inspired by human need, right? Whether it be the human need to, like the one that had to get rid of that tattoo, the human need to be seen as human again and not just a number or the human need to be seen as an individual and be able to speak up as an individual and not not be blanketed by this communism and have to all look alike and act alike or um, I did a play about uh, the AIDS crisis in South Africa so the human need for survival you know um, I've I've, I've always been interested in the idea of humanity and what makes us human. And to me, what makes us human and what humans have in common is our needs, our needs both physically, mentally, emotionally, and our needs in terms of individualism. What did you do outside of school when you were directing? Um, so I've, uh, when I was a student, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So in terms of a job? Jobs, hobbies. Ah, okay. Well, there wasn't much time for hobbies because we were typically in class from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. every single day. <laughs> um, but some of the things that I love to do, writing is one of my absolute uh, hallmark things that I must do to survive. And, um, and then I love shopping. I do. I love buying things. Um, so I have a little bit of a consumerism issue. Um, and, and then... You know, just there were so many parties to go to when you're in college. So I did a lot of going to parties. I was always the designated driver because I didn't drink at the time. <laughs> so, um, so I know that struggle. Yeah. I mean, it was fun, you know, until someone else had drunk too much and you had to just keep on turning them over every time they puke so that yeah. they don't drown in their own puke. You know, that, that kind of stuff. You kind of take on <laughs> this like little Mary Poppins role mm. of, okay, don't stand up in my car while I'm driving. Yeah. Don't throw up all over my seat. You become very paternal, yeah. you know, or maternal at, at, in that role. It's true. Um, and then as far as work, I was a residential advisor, um, and I also helped to fundraise for the university. Nice. Let's talk a bit about directing post-college. Um, what are some of the pieces you've done? What's your approach to directing like? So post-college, my first company that I got to direct with was a company called Alliance Theatre Lab, uh, which I was the managing director for for a couple of years. And the show I did with them was a show called Down the Road by Lee Blessings, which is a show about our obsession with serial killers and violent people and uh, the possibility that the way that we obsess over them may in fact glorify them and make it more likely that more people will act in that way. 
Um, but it's done in a way that's not so preachy um, and in a way that you kind of just get drawn into the story and then start to see what's happening to this couple that is doing this interview of this serial killer. Um, and I've directed multiple times also the show called Sisters, A Celebration of the Human Spirit. And that is a show about black women through slavery and the reconstruction as told by the actual women who lived it based on a book called We Are Your Sisters. Um, and the play was written by Jerry Ayers. So I've directed that one twice and it's an all female, all black female cast and it's a beautiful experience both times that I've had the opportunity to direct it. My favorite of uh, my most recent directing uh, opportunities was I finally got the opportunity to direct Venus, which was a play that I wanted to direct since I was in college. Um, and it is about the Venus Hottentot and it's by Susan Laurie Parks. And uh, the Venus Hottentot is a woman who was taken from South Africa uh, and put on display for her large derriere. And even after she died, they cut out her derriere and her, um, her private parts and put them on display in museums and, and it wasn't until a hundred years after she died that her body finally was sent back to South Africa to be buried wow that's where'd you direct that at I directed that at the African Heritage Cultural Arts Center which is one of my favorite places to work they are just fabulous to work with Teddy Harrell over there shout out to Teddy Harrell right down here in yes. South Florida yes 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 so what's your approach to directing like what when you read a play what's the first thing you think about after you decided that yes I want to direct this play so the first thing I think about after I decide that I would like to direct a play is what is the world like of this play so that involves doing some research of if it's in a different time period or a different location and and just seeing what hits me from the research you know, is this a place that is dark or bright? Is this a place that should be um, very concrete? Is this more of an abstract world? You know, so it's really just a matter of, first, I, I like to get the context of where is this thing happening? Um, and then from, and what does that place look like and feel like? Even feel like it might be more important than look like, unless I have to do the design myself. <laughs> but if someone else is designing, then I focus more so on what does this place feel like? so that I don't become a dictator and tell the, the designer what they have to do, but instead right. tell them, you know, I really want the place to feel like this. I want you to, when you come into this space for you, for the audience to get this type of feeling. Um, and then the designer can kind of run with the, that idea. And how specific do you get with those feelings? Is it like, I want this place to feel happy or is it like, I want this place to feel like grandma's kitchen on a Sunday afternoon more like the second one. Um, but at the same time, that's that still is open for feedback. Right. You know? And because and I may not go into it with just I want this place to feel like this, but more like when I read the play, this is the feelings that I got from the play. And I'm and I also like for it to be open to what feelings did you get from the play when you when you read it? You know, when I speak to the designers and the actors so that the world that we create is not one that I've dictated to them, but one that we're creating together. Right. What speaks to you the most before you start the process of like casting and the rehearsal process? Um, honestly, it's all a matter of what is the human element? What what is it? What does this play say about humanity? What aspect of humanity is this play begging us to examine? That's what I'm looking for when I look at a play. Right. 
What inspires your creative vision during the rehearsal process? Well, it's a combination of things, right? So you, you'll, you've read the play, and at this point you have all of these ideas and thoughts about what it should look like, what it should feel like, what it should do to the audience. But there are other people in the room who are also artists, and they've read the play, and they have thoughts and feelings and ideas about what this play should make the audience feel and what right. it made them feel and what it should look like and all of that. And I like to sort of take all of that into account and and see where those things are in common and where those things are different and why and examine what what is it that we really want to put forward. So I'm inspired both by what I've brought into the rehearsal room and what I encounter once I'm there. How do you know you've done your job correctly as a director? That is a very interesting question because I don't know that I think there's a correct way to do my job as a director, but I think there are effective ways and less effective ways. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I know that I have been effective as a director when everything is working together. When the design and the act and the way that the actors are portraying their uh, roles and the way that the audience is entering the space all just seems to flow and make sense and it doesn't look like somebody's hand was on it pushing it any sort of way but it looks like like it just grew there you know like this just came together on its own um, when that's the look that you get when you look at it then I feel like I was effective is your approach to directing different the way you would approach Shakespeare versus the way you would approach Wilson yes and no uh, I think with Wilson there tends to be more need for a ground, a more grounded realism, I guess you could say. That might be not, not the right words for what I mean. Um, but Shakespeare's language is not familiar to a modern audience. Right. So the way that you portray it, you have to work a little harder to make sure that what you're saying is understandable. Whereas with, you know, August Wilson or something like that, where, where the language is very uh, known to a modern audience you may not work at it in the same way because if you did, that might feel like it was overworked. Right. Um, so to me, that would be the difference is just the familiarity that the audience may have with the language. So in addition to directing, you are also a mother. I am a mother. I have two sons and a daughter. Two sons and a daughter. Lily Grace, she mm -hmm. was just in Meet Me at the Oak at the M Ensemble. Yes. So I want to ask you a couple questions. Hey, Lily, if you listen to this, I love you. <laughs> I love you too, Lily, but you know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it like having a daughter that does theater? Um, it's great. I love the fact that we have that in common um, and that we have both this interest. We're very different artists, and I love that as well. Um, that she has her own individual style and her own way of approaching a script that is different than mine. And I love watching and seeing how she grows and develops. What advice do you give to her that you wish you would have gotten either as an adult or as a child? Honestly, I try not to give her too much advice because um, I feel like a mother's role when their child is pursuing the arts um, or if their child's in the sports or whatever your child is into, that your role as a mother should be one of support. Um, so I only give her, you know, advice in terms of like, you know, what do you feel? Where do you feel this is coming from? You know, try to support her as opposed to, to really like, this is how you should do this or this is how you should do that. Um, because I think 
there's a director. The director's going to tell her what, how she, if, if, you know, things that they think she should do. Right. And other than supporting whatever it is that she's getting in terms of direction, I feel like my, my job as a mother is to be the person behind her going, oh my gosh, you're so wonderful. You know, I just think you're amazing. And I do think she's amazing, you know, so it's not ingenuine. <laughs> yeah. But I think that everybody needs that cheerleader who's in their corner. And I, I feel like that's my job as her mother. What did you feel the moment she came to you and she was like, mommy, I want to do theater. I let's go for it. You know, I've never pushed my children towards the theater. That's just not something that I think you should push someone towards. There is, if there's anything else in the world that will make you happy, that will make you content with your life and fulfilled than doing theater, you should do that because doing theater is hard. And I don't mean hard just in terms of, uh, oh, it's hard that you have to audition all the time or it's hard to get a job doing theater. I also mean the actual work. It's emotionally draining. It's hard, yeah. yeah. It, and, and, and it can be, it's something that forces you to go places that most people don't want to go. You know, so if you find fulfillment in doing that, if that's something that you love and no matter what else you do, you always find yourself wanting to go back to it, then yes, theater is for you. But if not, then do the other thing, you know, do that other thing that makes you happy because um, it, it, it's probably going to be a little easier on your mental health. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you first started doing theater? When I first started doing theater, I was 15. You were 15. I was 15. And of course, Lily Grace is... Oh, she's 12 now, but she's been doing theater since she was six. Are there like patterns that she kind of goes through that you noticed yourself doing when you were younger or... She's uh, on a totally different trajectory than I was. I was not thinking about doing theater at her age. It just wasn't even on my radar as an option at all. I was the middle child of five children, you know, of a middle class family that was you know, not a family that had come from money or anything like that. And it was very expensive to get involved with theater at the time. Very expensive to go see a show. I had not right. seen much theater in my life at her, at her age. You know, much less thought that I could actually do it. We like to put on little plays in the house, like just me and my family and my cousins and things like that. We would put on little, usually Bible-themed plays for our parents. Um, you know, so that was my exposure to theater <laughs> when I was her age, was, you know, me playing one character and my cousin playing another, and we're putting on this, telling this Bible story for the family. Um, so uh, her trajectory is much different because she's already thinking in a much more professional way. You know, she, she has a much more technical skill than I ever even knew existed when I was 12 years old. Right. I have to go back for a little bit. Tell me about these Bible stories, these Bible plays. <laughs> well, the one that was my favorite, uh, we were, it was the story where, um, I, let me see, I believe it was Isaac. You see, I'm, I'm a little off on my Bible stories now. <laughs> but I believe it was Isaac and he, uh, he was approached by two women, both claiming that, a certain baby was theirs and um he said or was it solomon i think it was solomon because it's wise king solomon i think it was solomon so both claiming that this baby was theirs and the one mother uh so he says well we'll just cut the baby in half and each of you can have a half of the baby and the one mother cries and says no 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 no! give her the baby don't cut it in half and he, that's how he knows that that's the mother and i played the mother who 
I played the one who was actually the mother of the baby. And I remember on, that because death I was just, I was so committed to that. <laughs> that was my baby and I had to save it. You know, so I, I remember that one because we really went into detail on that. And it really made me cry even because I really was like, he's about to kill my baby. <laughs> you know, so and I remember how happy I felt when I got the baby. Like, I, I really felt right you know like before I you even got through like <laughs> what objectives and beats and tactics where you were feeling and you were experiencing somebody else's lived experience yeah i think if you're i think children already play that way i think they do um when they're playing on their own like when i, I see my my youngest one even now who's not doing theater at the moment um when he gets together with his friends and they're playing house or they're playing school some of the, sometimes they'll really cry over something or they'll be laughing or, you know, whatever the real emotion is that you would feel if you were going through it, they're actually feeling it, you know, because it's if they're they they are naturally pursuing a tactic and they are naturally either frustrated or excited when they frustrated when they don't get it or excited when they do. So um, I think as we grow older and we think about, oh, now it's a performance. That's when we start to distance ourselves from what is real and natural for humans. Wow. So in addition to being director, mother, author, carpenter probably, um, you're also a spoken word artist. I am a spoken word artist. Yes, I am. So I enjoy it. Talk a little bit about that. What is what about spoken word speaks to you? Well, it's a a combination of two of my greatest loves, um, which it's got a it's got a theatrical element to it, but it's also writing. And I've been writing poetry since I was six years old. You know, I wrote my first poem was a love poem to my grandmother. So, and ever since then, writing poetry is a big way, a part of how I deal with feelings, strong feelings, whether they be anger or sadness, everything except for love. I've, I don't write love poems. If I love you, I just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but every other emotion, I tend to write poetry. So it's a com it's the combining of that with performance and being that raw and open and real and true to myself in a performance mode um, is very exciting for me. How do you translate your poems into spoken word? They they kind of just go there, you know. It's for me, it's not that hard to to go from the one to the other. I just perform it as I felt it right. when I wrote it. Um, so it it doesn't really. It's not really a separate process in a way for me. Um, there are poems that for me don't work don't work as well as spoken word as they do on the written page. You know, if the way that it's written, looking at it on the page, actually the shape of how I've drawn it out on the page is part of the way that that poem is meant to be viewed, then I probably won't do that poem as a spoken word piece because I'm not going to necessarily right. be able to translate that shape on the page. Um, but most poems, if it's, if it's really about the words and the wordplay and, and there's not that visual element as much to it, then it, it just, it's just a matter of saying it the way I felt it. Right. Cause a lot of people think spoken word is, I felt purple. And in, been doing like more research as mm -hmm. I've been delving into some of the things that I have maybe possibly coming up. And it's it's deep and it's not just, you know, abstract words put together and put to a beat and somebody's lo-fi SoundCloud rapping. Yeah. And, and um, I don't like to think of it as putting it to a certain rhythm. A rhythm may emerge, you know, and a rhythm may be within the way that the poem was written. Like if I wrote a poem in meter then that rhythm exists in there. But I don't try to emphasize that rhythm. It'll right. just be present. Um, 
I think sometimes when you emphasize the rhythm, the poem can get so repetitive that people, you lose people. Right. And how do you find that rhythm? Is it different from poem to poem? It can be different from performance to performance, even of the same poem, you know, depending on how you, that poem is hitting you today. The poem may not hit you the same way every single time you perform it. But I think just being true to what emotion that poem is bringing up in you today is what connects with the audience the most. And how is spoken word similar and different from traditional forms of communication? Um, As in monologues, talking, okay. i.e. Yeah, so spoken word, what it has in common with the traditional forms uh, is the idea that there's something you want to communicate. Um, there are some people who write poems and perform them that they're not really trying to say anything. And to me, those people are like, why are you performing it if it's not meant for me to take something from it? Um, but most people don't. Uh, most people have a point to why they're saying it. Even if the point is to make you laugh. You know, but there's a point, there's a reason, there's something that they want you to experience out of this. And so it has that in common with most forms of communication. It also has the idea that you need dynamics. You don't want it to all be on one level note that makes people not want to listen to you anymore. You want to have those dynamics in there in terms of volume and pitch and, you know, ex expression and how far things are drawn out in terms of rate. And all of those things still are there in spoken word. Um, I think what might be different is that... Uh, typically when you're speaking to people, they're not necessarily looking for you to have poetic devices, right? You don't have to speak in metaphors. You don't have to have possibly rhyme, although you don't necessarily have to have rhyme in spoken word, but you have to have some sort of poetic devices in order for it to be a poem and not just you ranting. Right. <laughs> so um, although there are people who call it spoken word who do just rant, and I will not name names, um, but, you know, I think it's that necessity for poetic device that makes it different than other forms of communication wow in addition to all this this all stemmed from acting so we're gonna get into what project you currently are working on the old settler yes. at the m ensemble so tell us about the show. Tell us about your role. What's poppin'? I am very, very excited about the show, um, The Old Settler, because, well, for multiple reasons. One, I'm really excited to be working with this particular director. Um, John Pryor is a director that I've done several shows with where I was his set designer. And this will be my first time working with him as an actor. But I have followed his work for, for several years, even outside of designing for him and I've heard such great things from actors that have worked with him so I'm really excited to work with him from the perspective of an actor um, this time and um, I always you know am, am happy to work with the M Ensemble um, really excited about the history that that company has and uh, grateful to be a part of it and then the, the show is just so good like the script is really really good what is it about it's about Two women who are a little bit older, at least in the time period, would have been considered older. And they are sisters, and they live in Harlem. And a young man comes to live with them who is looking for a woman that he, uh, that was his girlfriend back home. And he's from South Carolina. And I play the younger woman that, he's, that he was looking for. And uh, there's a love triangle that ends up happening between one of the older women this young man and the young woman. And there are so many themes that are touched on in this in terms of 
family, in terms of romance, in terms of expectation, you know, there, there's just a lot. And in terms of what drives for my, for me, um, for the character that I'm playing, like what drives someone to be willing to do something harmful to someone else for their own benefit, you know, right. when it, maybe they could benefit without doing that harmful thing to them, but what makes them decide, no, I'm going to go ahead and do this harmful thing. Um, is a big part of it for for my character. Are these themes that you've explored before as an actress? Um, yes, in different ways. You know, th I think some of them are just such uh, universal themes that you can find them in most right. scripts. But the particular way um, that they go about it in this script is a little bit different. And I think everyone who sees this show is going to be like, I know someone just like that for every single character in it because they're so real. You know, like these characters remind me of real people who I'm trying not to name because if they see hear this they like and then they see it they might be like, "Well, I like that." <laughs> so, I'm not going to do that. Um but there's definitely real people I know who are like each and every single character in that. And when does the show open? It opens on April 11th at the M Ensemble, yes. which is in Coral Gable. <laughs> so it's on off uh, 62nd Street, just west of I-95. So as soon as you get off of I-95, you make that first left, and it's a gray building there, and it has a parking garage and everything. It's called the Sandrell Rivers Theater, the location. So Cool. Yeah. So we're going to play a game. Uh-oh, what's the game? <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be called D-A-S and Y. Directing, acting, ah, and set designing, and why. So I'm going to name these shows, and you're going to tell me which one you would rather do, okay? And why? <laughs> Fences. Oh, that's a tough one. I want to do all of it. Um, I've already set designed it, so. Um, Where'd you set design at? I I actually did that for the M Ensemble as well. Um, I was the set designer for that one. I would say um, I really would like to act in it. I know I have a few more years before I'm really in the range, but I I would love to act in that show. Ruined by Lynn Nottage. Oh my goodness. Oh, I would like to direct that. I would also like to act in it, you know, but if I had to pick just one, I would want to direct it because I, I have a very strong, when I read that, a very strong visual in my mind of of how that should feel and and look and smell and taste. Bonus question. Mm -hmm. Who would you cast if you were to direct Ruined right now? Oh, there's it's, anyone it's in the world out of all seven billion of us. It's got a big cast. I know. Um, you could just pick a few. I mean, honestly, anything that I ever directed, if I could have Angela Bassett in it, I would take her. I don't. I mean, I, I don't care what the play is. It could be. <laughs> it could naughty. be something that has all men, and I would still find a way to put Angela Bassett in it. <laughs> um, I let's see who else. Um, Oh my goodness, this is tough. Um, also, because I'm bad with names, Elise. Oh gosh, what is her full name? She was in uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Oh, you know who I, I'm talking about. I know about. who you're talking about. Yes, she she's phenomenal. Um, in terms of local actors, Rita Joe, Daryl Patrice. Um, shout out to Daryl, episode to two, Darryl. my girl. Um, uh, Von Ryan, oh, Von Ryan St. James. I would put her in anything. Also, she's amazing. Um, oh, my goodness. Kimberly Elise. Kimberly Elise, that's it. Uh, Keith Wade would be great in that show. Actually, he was in it before. Um, 
uh, let's see who else. Uh, gosh, I, you know, I just can't even think of all the names right now, but I just, I would love to do that show. Nice. Hamlet. Hamlet. I think I would love to direct that show also, because it's another one that I have a lot of ideas for. Care to elaborate? Well, I just, when I, when I read that show, I, 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 you know, I don't want to get too detailed, Mm -hmm. uh, because hopefully I will get to direct it one day and I want people to be surprised. And y'all will have heard it here (laughs) first. (laughs) But um, when I, when I read that show, there are certain moments um, in it that I, I see being played differently than, than the ways I've seen them played before. And I would love to have the opportunity to, to try the, the, the ideas that I have for them. The normal heart. Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. That one, um, I'd have to really spend some time with to decide on that. Probably set. Probably set. I'm trying design. to remember. I saw it a couple of years ago, and I can't remember if it was a unit set or if the set kept changing. But I remember, it, I think it kept changing. Mm-hmm. And every time they would go back to the living room, the same living room with the two guys, the living room looked completely different. As in, like, they would put out a different sofa or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this some deep artistic message that I'm missing because I'm tired? Or is this, like, a mistake? Sounds interesting. I want to say it's probably not a mistake, though. Because to just even have that many couches available, it it probably was a choice. Well, they had, like, three different living rooms. And sometimes the couches would appear in the wrong wrong living room. "Hmm." So it might be a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Night mother. Night Mother. Um, I think I would want to. Hmm. I'm I'm leaning towards act right now, just because I feel like there's a lot to play there's with there, there that I would I would like to delve into. Who would you want to be your daughter? Um, I don't know. Maybe my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh maybe what? I'm trying to think how old the daughter is in that show. She's like 18. Yeah, I mean, so a couple we years. Got we got time. We got time. <laughs> That'll give me enough time to start my own theater company. That'll be there the inaugural show. There you go. Um, the color purple. Oh, the color purple. I love that show. I'm going to say direct. Um, yeah, I'm going to say direct. I would also love to act in it, but realistically, I would think direct actually would be more the right place for me to be in that because um, it's one of those shows where the whole experience of it is something that I... I feel very attached to. Right. So I would I would like to direct that show. I'm picking direct a lot, huh? I mean, it, it might be the shows I picked. It, it might be. It might, it might be. It might <laughs> be. <laughs> Jitney. Jitney. Um, so I haven't read that show as many times as I would like to make a, a for sure choice about it. Um, but I mean, I would love to act in anything August Wilson, so I probably would love to act in it. Um but, you know, August Wilson is hard to pick because the set designs for his shows are so fun to do because you can really get gritty deep, with deep. it. Right. Um, and directing one of his shows is also amazing. But I- I'm going to say acting. Wow, this has been a great time. And I've learned so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> do you know where we can find you on social media or otherwise? Yes. So on um, Instagram, you can find me at Flow Diva Flow, which, you know, that goes with my spoken word. Um, and then on Facebook, Rachel Flow Diva Finley. And Twitter, I don't use very much at all. But if you want to check it out, it's at Flow Diva Flow as well. I'm also part of a poetry, uh, spoken word poetry troupe. 
um, that is called Chaos Theory, and you can follow that group on Chaos at Chaos Theory Online on all social media, Chaos Theory Online. Nice. And do you have any upcoming projects besides The Old Settler? Um, well, I'm working on my one-woman show, still finishing pulling that together, uh, which is called America Burning. So I'm hoping that that will be sometime in the fall. Can you give us some details? Well, I don't want to give too many details till it's done, but basically it deals very much with how divided we are as a nation and um, how perhaps we're not as different as we think we are. Nice. So you have that. You have Old Settler. Anything else? Right now, those are the two main things on the horizon. Wonderful. <laughs> and as always, thank you guys so much for listening every week. If you like, oh, oh, I did forget one other thing, but I don't know if this is going to air before then. On Saturday, this will air before then. Excellent. So let me tell you about that. Saturday, <laughs> I'm really excited about this. I am going to be performing at the Spoken Soul Festival at the Adrian Arch Center in Miami. It is a free event, open to all ages, open to the public at the Adrian Arch That's Center. That's a huge center. Yes, at 7 p.m. and it's it's part of the Swan Festival, which is support. Women Artists Now, uh, organized by Deborah Magdalena, the great Deborah Magdalena. Um, so if you are able to go this Saturday to the Adrian Art Center, you'll see a great show and some beautiful artwork for free um, at the, uh, the Spoken Soul Festival. And if you go to my social media, you will see the flyer for it. Nice. And is that something that you can purchase tic- or reserve tickets for? You can reserve tickets for, tickets for it on the Adrian Arst um, events page, absolutely. Got you. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know. Yeah. So, as always, we love you guys. Catch this on Instagram at Behind the Curtain Pod, on Facebook at BTCW Corey Pod. That's BTCW C O R E Y Pod, because the other Behind the Curtain took this. <laughs> <laughs> Any last words? Just thank you so much for having me. Be well. Make the world a better place, everybody, every day. <laughs> In the words of the great Catherine Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she just got tenure. Yes, she did. Yay. Congratulations, I'm so Catherine. For her. I love her. I love her. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. See you next week.